Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, an Espedition blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. Tonight I am joined by Pale Dragon and I am William Chase. What's up, PD? Hey, <laughs> hanging in there. Got a little bit of the blahs here being stuck at home with all the COVID stuff and, you know, a little, little, uh, little sad about all the holiday traditions that I can't partake in in terms of seeing other people and going out and doing things. And that's kind of kind of dampening the the spirit of the season like uh like i usually look forward to so yeah that's true yeah i i don't know what we're doing on our end for christmas but uh i know we you know usually do our our normal thing but uh we had our first little snowfall today here in virginia it didn't accumulate much just kind of a heavy dose of flurries but i i'd rather it be in the 80s all year <laughs> i I'd, I'd prefer if uh it to be like you know mid forties. Uh, I could, I could be fine with that, you know, and, and if it's going to be, if it's going to be below freezing, uh, I'd rather, totally rather have snow than like the, you know, low thirties freezing rain kind of thing. Like that's just miserable, especially when walking the dog. So if it's, you know, cold, no, no yeah. wind, no precipitation, we can just stand that's outside true. and he can run yeah. around and it's fine. So. <laughs> that is true. Well, speaking of the cold and the uh, miserable doldrums of the wintertime, there's not much news on the NHL front and, you know, when the season might start. The latest sounds like they're trying to get games started by mid-January. That's, of course, to be determined, and we will report the latest there when we have it. But because the Blue Jackets are celebrating their upcoming 20th anniversary, we at the CannonCast have been running our Jackets 20 series, highlighting a lot of the notable names throughout the years. Players both you know, on and off the ice and their contributions. We've already kick-started this with the likes of Jody Shelley, Rick Nash, Steve Mason, and I have Ray Whitney on Wednesday. Uh, PD, I'll let you take this where you'd like to go with it, but it's been fun reminiscing and thinking back on a lot of these guys. Yeah, for, for my part, I, I have enjoyed going back down memory lane especially to revisiting parts of Jackets history that I was not as much of a part of, you know, because for the last decade I've been, you know, partial season ticket holder, been going to a lot more games, watching a lot more games on TV. And this is even before I started writing for the Canon, you know, and so I'm very familiar with the, with the teams, at least of the, the Yarmo era and, and late in the Hausen era. But, you know, the early years, I, I mean, I've always been a fan of the team. I've always been aware of the team, 
you know, went to games occasionally when I was in high school, but, you know, was not watching every game. I think like not even every game was on Fox Sports Ohio necessarily, you know, that it maybe like maybe half the games would be on TV or something. Yeah, that sounds um, right. So I, I wasn't like religiously tuning in. I would, you know, check the scores the next day in the newspaper. And when I was away in college, I did the same thing. I would just, you know, every day I'd be on like Yahoo Sports and I'd, oh, how are the jackets doing? That kind of thing. So, so it's nice to go back and revisit those times and look back over the numbers and stuff and, and see what matches my memory and what didn't match it. And, um, so the one I, one I did last week was, was writing about Jeff Sanderson and, and he's a guy that stood out. I always, re- you know, remembered him and remember that he was, he was like the guy in those early seasons. You know, he was like, without a doubt, the best player the Jackets had at that point. Um, and in, it was good to look at the numbers and say like, oh yeah, no, he, he put up a lot of goals, a lot of points. Um, you know, pr- pretty impressive offensive player for a team that was not good and a team that did not score a ton, but, you know, he put up 30 goals in the inaugural season, uh, which is a hell of an accomplishment for a player on an expansion team. Um, you know, and then he had a, uh, you know, 60 plus point season in his uh, third year there. Um, so that was, it was cool to go back and see that. I know I remembered that he had the first hat trick in franchise history. I didn't remember that it was actually in the inaugural season. So that was cool for it to happen that year. I remember when that happened. I don't remember if I was watching the game or just saw coverage of it, but I remember thinking that was so cool that, all right, Jack's got a hat trick already. And, uh, and I remember the, you know, the display that they put up pretty quickly in the concourse with all the hats they collected. Um, then of course, over the years that ha- they've kept that display and they've expanded it. So you can still see all the hats from all the hat tricks that have happened in Columbus uh, by, by the Blue Jackets. And that's, uh, that's kind of cool. You can, you know, see the hats over history. It's kind of like a geologic uh, sample there of all the layers of hats from different years. And, you know, I've been lucky enough. I think I've seen two jackets hat tricks in person and nationwide. Um, and that's always a thrill to see. Uh, what I hadn't remembered was that Sanderson – uh, scored the first overtime goal in franchise history. And again, that took them in, into December of that first season before they got, got an overtime winner. Uh, but that was pretty cool. And, and I, uh, and I also, I had missed a, an interview he did back in May with Jody Shelley. Um, and it was cool to hear, to watch that interview and hear them reminisce about those early years. And, uh, you know, Sanderson noted that, you know, like once Rick Nash came on board that, you know, he started to take down a lot of Sanderson's records that he had established for the Jackets. Um, but, you know, he still has the, he's still noteworthy as the first to do a lot of things. So he had, the, you know, the first Patrick and the first overtime winner. Now other guys have had more, but, you know, he was at least the first and uh, and he'll always, you know, that's not a record that, that anyone can take away from him for, for being the first. Uh, so that, you know, so that, so that was good to revisit him as, as an early guy. And, um, and of course I, I felt it, only appropriate to start the series with an article about Rick Nash. Um, and, and there was a lot to talk about there because there's kind of a lot of phases of his career. There was when he was this kind of wunderkind prospect, you know, the, the number one overall pick joined the team right away. Um, and then, you know, at just a second season, he won the rocket Richard, <laughs> you know, led the, led the league in goals, uh, which is impressive. And then, you know, eventually developed into, the team leader then as they got to their first playoff run. Um, then of course, then there was the the divorce, which got a little, little bit ugly. Um, but then now as the years have gone by and now that he's back in the organization, it's uh, yeah, reunited. So it's, and it's kind of neat that, that his story is, 
continuing and, you know, assuming that he's, if he's, if he's still in the front office in two years, then that'll mark, you know, 20 years from the arrival of, you know, in front as a player, then he's still in the organization, you know, with just those, those years that are away in New York and Boston, but, uh, and hopefully he'll, it'd be nice to, if he's a long-term member of the front office, um, that'd be a pretty cool, cool story. So yeah, which, uh, which of the, uh, the players that we've covered so far, which one has been, uh, your favorite or a player that has stood out to you from, from that group. Uh, well, let me, let me go ahead and just run it down here. So we had uh, Nash, Jody Shelley, Vinny Prospel, Jack Johnson, uh, Steve Mason, and Jeff Sanderson. Yeah. So when I think about the Blue Jackets from the early years, you know, Sanderson was always among the first stars I think of he and Whitney and then Rick Nash, of course, as you highlighted, he was, you know, 18 when he was drafted yeah. and he was there from 2002 until 2012 thinking back it just feels like he's been there from day one until now and of course he had the chunk of time in new york and a handful of games in boston but uh and then jody shelley who i wrote about he always stuck out to me he came back as a team ambassador and then became the number one color guy on the tv side and i got to talk to him and really pick yeah. his brain a couple of years ago got a lot of insight and not just into his playing days which was awesome to hear about but you know, why he wanted to stick around Columbus, put roots down. And I mean, he's a guy from Canada. He'd also played in Philadelphia, New York, San Jose. He probably could be doing what he is in Columbus anywhere. Yeah. And I think, you know, both he and Nash, I think, married women who were, were from Ohio and yeah. which I think helped bring them, bring them back here. But it is always cool to hear these players because there've been so many players now that have decided to settle here. Even guys that weren't necessarily here a long time, but they, their brief time here kind of like, Oh, Hey, I, okay, I like this place. And so that's, yeah, that's neat to hear about. And I think that also helps to cement those players legacy here that they, they, if they choose to live in Columbus, then that helps make them kind of always a blue jacket. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I, I was very intentional in picking Jody Shelley to be the second name we went through on our series. Now I, this is not a ranking. We're not ranking these top 20 in order we're not going strictly chronological. I just kind of followed my gut there, but I felt like those two represent a lot about the franchise, especially the first decade or so of franchise history. So Nash was the first real star player. We had the first franchise player. Like this was the homegrown franchise guy. He, you know, should have been a guy that spent his whole career here, you know, and for his, you know, his talent was what stood out. And with Jody Shelley, it wasn't really his talent. It was just his, his personality and his attitude. And I think the way he played appealed to fans, you know, especially when you're talking early two thousands people, fans that are maybe new to hockey and Oh, the guy that fights like that's, that's an interesting thing. And then he had, you know, this big smile with a big gap in his teeth. Like so that appealed to this kind of this, this blue collar attitude. I think uh, that this area relates to very well. And so I, I think, and the guy that, makes it without having a ton of natural talent going for him. And I think as the as city that we often see ourselves as an underdog here in Columbus, we can relate more to that in Jody Shelley than we relate to someone with amazing natural talent like Rick Nash. Talking to Shelley a couple of years ago, he really references that blue collar attitude. He loves that mentality. And like you said, he that underdog mentality in, in uh, Columbus and then from a fighting aspect, it was kind of like his dream, I think, to go up against Bob Probert. I think it was like on on a hockey night in Canada. Uh, so he, you know, that was something that 
those types of moments he lived for. And then Seeds wrote about Jack Johnson, and he really gave that credit to a guy in Johnson who embraced coming to Columbus after that debacle of a trade with, you know, you can insert your booze here with Jeff Carter. But uh, yeah, Johnson kind of helped kickstart that culture change and yep. helping to move things forward in a positive direction. Like like Nash, you know, he was a guy that there were a lot of facets to his time here. And I thought that Seeds did a good job of capturing all parts of the story that, you know, we, we didn't like the way that things ended because, you know, he struggled on the ice that last season here. And then, you know, those comments were made in Pittsburgh that rubbed us the wrong way. Um, but yeah, we shouldn't let that overshadow what he brought to the team. And he was pretty good for a long time for us, you know, so there's what he did in the locker room, but, on the ice, he was had a lot of productive years going right up through the 2016-17 season. I mean, he and Savard were a shutdown second pair that year, and you know Johnson was a big part of that. And you know he had he always stepped up in the playoffs. When he played in the playoffs, he was great. Always took his game to another level there, uh, which was huge, and it was it was needed. Um, so you know, and for a lot of these guys, where things maybe didn't end well. You know, I hope that over the time that the negative parts kind of fade and we just remember the what the good things were. And, and I feel like, you know, with, with Nash, my, my own thoughts of him have started to evolve that way to think less about the end and more about the good parts and think of him more, okay, no, he is still one of us, I guess. Uh, and Johnson, I think maybe in time we can look back and, you know, cause maybe he'll be a guy that comes back here as well to settle. Cause I know he, he married an Ohio girl as well. So, um, you know, let's, and, and that's you know, part of the series too is, yeah, let's, let's remember the, the, the best parts of these players and not just the easy jokes, you know? So Elaine, Elaine wrote about Steve Mason, who it's very easy to, to make him the butt of jokes to think about what a disappointment the majority of his career was here. But Let's also remember just how great that rookie season was. Oh, it was sensational! Was lights out. It was. I mean, he carried the team to the playoffs on his back, um, and did it while fighting off Mono at one point. Just, just it's ridiculous. So you know, it, it's fun to go back and remember just what a great season that was. What a great performance that was. Yeah, I know. I've mentioned this in the past, I think, but uh, I've seen. I saw Mason shut out the Caps three nothing in DC. Rick Nash didn't play because he was injured, and the Caps were. You know, riding high. Uh, it was the year Columbus finally made the playoffs, but they were iffy at that point in time. And the Caps had had a long winning streak, and Mason just shocks everyone. <laughs> and I think someone behind me was like, "Who was that?" After the game, and, and, and we didn't know either. You know, he was no, no one expected him to come in and be that. I, I remember back then, um, I still read the Columbus Dispatch when that was still, <laughs> you know, actually, you know. A, a big print newspaper. Um, it's sad to see what, uh, what it's become. It's, you know, it still has Hedger who's great, but otherwise as a, as an institution, it's been gutted. But anyway, so I was, you know, I'd, I'd read the paper and that season they started to run a recurring series. They said, Oh, we're going to pick a prospect and, you know, check in on him from time to time and cover what the life of a prospect is like and who they chose was Steve Mason and I'd heard the name before because I think the season before he got called up as an emergency call up because they were injuries to the goalie. So he didn't play, but he dressed for a game because they needed uh, another body as goaltender. 
Um, so like, oh yeah, that's interesting. This guy gets called from juniors for a game to be that. Um, so then, and I think he had maybe injured himself that season and had like a knee surgery that he was recovering from. So, you know, the 2008-09 season, he was just going to be, you know, working his way back and, you know, playing his way through, through the minors, not thinking that he would be a factor that season. And then, you know, injuries to goaltenders and he gets called up and starts playing lights out. So this series that became something totally different, not just like, oh, hey, what's this prospect doing? It's like, oh, this guy is the star of the team and on his way to being the rookie of the year for the entire league. Um, so it's, it's funny how those things work out, you know, so there's all this background at the start of the season for this prospect, just because he was a random prospect they picked. And then he became the story of the season. I know things didn't really end well for Mason in Columbus, but he had a pretty decent career overall. I mean, he, he stuck around for a bit. But going back to Shelly and Nashville mm-hmm. Fast, uh, being the top two to start off the series, I went to an autograph session years ago in Columbus, and both guys were there side by side. And I think you hit it right, you know, going with your gut to start the series with those two. They're such, you know, prominent figures, of course. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. So I was curious to get your thoughts on guys going forward, whether this upcoming season or guys you might have in mind that you're excited about. And Kirill Marchenko has been a guy that I've been noticing online. He's just lighting it up for SAK St. Petersburg in the KHL. He has 10 goals, 8 assists. He's only 20. He was drafted by Columbus in 2018. But yeah, he's been playing well in the KHL for what it's worth. Yeah, so he he is... Uh, I've been... Trying to you know keep an eye on the stats for Marchenko and for Yeager Chinnikov, who was the first round pick this year. Both those guys are playing in the KHL. Chinnikov, his numbers he has cooled off a bit after his hot start. He's sitting on 15 points through 27 games, just uh, eight goals so far. So that's kind of tapered off. Um, hopefully, he'll get back in the swing of things here because. You know, the Jacks have a lot of hope for him, obviously, being a first-round pick. And, you know, he's, the, the goals that he scored, the highlights are just, you know, incredible what he's able to do. But uh, Marchenko has been heating up. Now, he he had a little bit of a slow start, and then um, he was out for a bit with COVID. Uh, much of his team had COVID. Um, but it sounds like he's heating up now. Obviously, yeah, 10 goals, the 27 games, solid. 
Well, I like him. He seems like he's got a big body and maybe has some Josh Anderson skills in terms of that he's big and he's fast. He's got good hands. He's a really intriguing player. Um, now, what I think a lot of Jackets fans are disappointed about or frustrated with is that he's under contract there through, uh, you know, up until 2022. Um, so fall of 2022 is the earliest that he could, uh, you know, be part of the Blue Jackets. And, and it's frustrating because we, you know, I think we have these prospects and you know, we want to play with our toys, right? We want to, we want to have access, you know, you know, and even if he's not going to be on the roster, like at least have him in Cleveland. So if we need a forward, like we can bring him in, you know, as opposed to he's crossed the ocean and he's under contract, we can't touch him, you know? Um, and that's, uh, yeah, it, it is frustrating. All I hope is that while he's over there is that he is getting the development that he needs so that when he does finally come over, whenever that is, that he will be a fully formed NHL player. So, you know, comparison that I've I've made for these Russian guys is, you know, think about Artemi Panarin when he came over to Chicago. You know, he didn't need any time to kind of get warmed up, break into the league. Like, he was an NHL-ready top-line winger from the get-go. And hopefully these guys can be that same thing when they finally come over. Um, you know, if you consider a guy like Emil Bemstrom, who was drafted in the same year as Marchenko, and, you know, this past year, you know, came over with this, you know, supposedly great shot, but the other parts of his game still needed some work. And I think that, you know, when he had to be on the NHL roster, so we didn't have to send him back to Sweden. And, but, you know, he could he still needed some work, and I don't think he was benefited necessarily by the role that he was playing because of his issues, maybe Torch didn't fully trust him. So he was playing like, you know, 10 minutes a game. He was playing on the fourth line, you know, even there in the playoffs in the bubble, he was playing on the fourth line and not getting a ton of minutes, which I think was a miscast role for him. Um, so a guy like Marchenko, I don't know if it would benefit him to be getting the same kind of minutes in Columbus. So, you know, if we can't have him in Cleveland, then well, at least he's over in the KHL playing against, grown men it's a good league and he's getting big minutes he's playing the role that hopefully he'll play in columbus someday so he's getting those kind of reps um you know power play minutes things like that so and you know escape st petersburg that is a that's one of the top franchises there in the khl uh that's where vladislav gavrikov played um so with a good team like that that means that he gets a chance to play playoff games and hopefully make some deep runs, which is a great experience for any prospect. Uh, just last year, as a you know, nineteen-year-old uh, or whatever, he scored three goals in four playoff games. Pretty good. So hopefully he can he can build on that. You know, you think back to the monsters in twenty sixteen and the guys that were on that team as they won the Calder Cup and that kind of playing those minutes with high stakes. Helped guys like Lorensky and Bjorkstrand and Anderson as they then came up to Columbus. So I think in the same way, if Marchenko gets those kind of minutes in Russia, that'll make him a better player when he finally comes over to the NHL. And and for you know Chinnikov, if if he runs into the same thing with his team, you know I, I think that'll be the same thing. Now he could you know we don't know when he's going to come over. Now he's just under contract for this season. He said he doesn't want to think about it until the end of the season as to whether he re-signs there or comes over to Columbus. I, I have a theory based on you know no actual <laughs> sourcing or reporting, but I just have a gut feeling that 
that may have been a factor in why the Jackets took him in the first round, that that could be an incentive to show him now, you know, it doesn't affect what they can pay him necessarily, but like, Hey, we're taking you in the first round because we think highly of you and we have a role for you here on the team sooner rather than later. You know, whereas Marchenko was a, uh, okay, se- second round. So, you know, still good. But, you know, I think Chenikov says, like, hey, we think a lot of you. We want to invest a lot in you. Come over now and there's a spot for you. Um, now, with Marchenko, it's interesting with the timing of his contract is that, um, so 2022, that's when both of the goalies' contracts are up, both Jones and Wierenski's contracts are up, Max Domi's contract's up. So the roster could really be in flux then. Uh, some guys getting raised, maybe some guys getting traded or letting walk. And so it'll be nice at that point to have a talent like Marchenko that comes in and he's on an entry-level contract. <laughs> so he's a cheap talent, and that's what you want if you have to maybe replace some guys. Um, so that'll be an interesting. And you know, with the timing of the KHL season, he could, in theory – contribute in the playoffs in 2022 if the Jackets are in the playoffs that year. So you get nice, be, be a late reinforcement on the season. Uh, kind of like Gavrikov a year ago. In, in yeah, exactly. So I know the Jackets are always sort of this eight seed, seven seed team. They start slow, get hot late, and then they're up against the mm. Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. But, you know, I know we're waiting for Columbus to become a destination, attract free agent players. And Yet they seem to have this potential, although I think it depends on what the coaching staff can kind of do to get those guys to, you know, hopefully further develop. Well, and and I, I, I don't necessarily want us to become a free agent destination because I feel like by the time guys hit free agency, it's too late usually. So what I want us to be, though, is the kind of place where if a player ends up here, whether he was drafted or traded to come here, that he wants to stay here. That this is a team that guys will not hesitate to sign extensions for. That guys want, like what's happening here, and they want to continue being part of it. Maybe even you get a situation like you know Crosby signing a team friendly contract in Pittsburgh. So where we get good players signing good deals to keep the core roster together. You know that's what I, I just want. You know I don't want guys to feel like they have to leave here because oh some other city has something more to offer or some other team has something more to offer that. The guys want to be part of this team and be in this city. And fortunately, I feel like the core of this team at the moment seems to be happy with what's happening. Yeah, Atkinson. Here. Yeah, there are guys guys that are invested in being here, and hopefully that continues. And hopefully, and I'd have to think in time that that will that feeling will build and it will spread. And so you know, you see a guy like Domi who is so excited to be here. And I think he has, you know, he's commented on, he's noticed how tight knit the locker room is and they've been really welcoming to him. So maybe by the time that he's been here two years, you know, that will rub off on him and he decides, hey, yeah, yeah, this is a place I can be, you know. Yeah, positive attitude can have a chain effect on guys, you know, inside, outside the dressing room. And, you know, Domi and Anderson were really tight players, you know, they're friends outside of the immediate dressing room. And this can be a topic for another day, but sometimes it makes me wonder whether it's the style of play, you know, talking about the Blue Jackets themselves. We know how they're going to win games. It's defense, it's goaltending, but it's an offensive-driven league, and whether a style might attract certain players, 
you know, there's so many defining factors and, you know, what may or may not appeal to certain players, but it kind of makes me wonder uh, going through that process, you know, the, the process players might have when they're looking at teams. Yeah, that's, and that's, it's interesting to think, you know, can, how long can they continue this style of hockey? You know, will, will that change if they hire a different kind of coach after torts, you know, retires or whatever, you know, but I, I think, I think this might be a style that Jarmo Kekalainen likes. So as long as he's in charge, he's going to bring in a certain type of player and a certain type of coach. Cause I feel like torts and Richards had kind of a similar defensive minded approach to the game. So I don't know if a radically different style would fit. You know, I don't know that it would fit the roster that we have. Right. And, yeah. Not with the current. And so if you're going to do that kind of radical change, then it requires changing a lot of things, you know, t- doing a lot of roster turnover. And then you get back to the kind of players that want to be in this city. And, you know, I don't know, you know, unless you really nail your coaching hire there to play a different kind of style that'll keep, that'll keep those players here. You're just going to drive those players away. And then you're left, left with nothing like we had, you know, in 2012. Um, so I think that the style that we have here is a more sustainable style for a franchise like this that can't necessarily attract or retain the really high end offensive talents. But this is a system that we can plug guys into, you know, like, hey, if we have a lot of injuries, we can call up guys from the AHL and they can be successful in this team oriented system. So I think that's. That's going to have to be the identity of this team that we are not driven by one or two stars. This is a team system. Now we have guys that are still really good talents. We have Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski and Pierre-Luc Dubois. Like these are still really good players that any team would be happy to have, but they, they also fit the team concept that also makes, so they can thrive within it, but also lesser talents can make the, can be their best self in this kind of system. Man, this talk gets me excited for hockey. <sighs> Just talking about normal, regular hockey talk. There, Like, there should be a game tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, it, it, it's tough because, yeah, I, I, I'm excited for the season. Excited to see this tweaked roster uh, in, in action. And um, But I'm tired of talking about it. I just want actual hockey to happen. It's weird to have, to have it be December and there's not games. You know, I've been you know tr- trying to, you know, keep coming up with article ideas for us to write about on the site. And, you know, normally around the holidays, like Thanksgiving, like, like last year, there were four games on Thanksgiving week, you know, like every other day. So we didn't have time to catch our breath for the holiday. Cause like, Oh, there's games to cover. And that was great. It, you know, it's, it's, it's easy in season to figure out what to write about because there's games to write about. And it's hard when they're it writes itself. Yeah. We're, yeah. You know, it's hard to, to write about the same thing or talk about the same thing week after week. Cause we don't know what's happening. Um, so, um, I, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I wrote about today for Cannonblast that, you know, so there've been other sports that have been keeping me occupied, but, um, you know, f- football is going to end soon. Uh, and then what, you know, uh, cause I'm not a huge NBA fan or anything. So I, yeah, I, I need, I need my hockey deck and I need my hockey fix. I just, you know, hope that it can, they can reach a deal that that's good for, for both the owners and the players and that they can do things safely. Um, Cause I, I hate seeing guys risk their 
risk put themselves at risk to uh, just to play. But uh, from a selfish standpoint, as I'm sitting home bored, <laughs> I like I want live sports, uh, and I want I want my Blue Jackets hockey. Even if I can't be there nationwide to watch, I want to be able to watch it on TV. Hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah. Speaking of cannon blasts, I know you linked my interview with Ryan Real on my Cutting to the Chase podcast. You know, it was good catching up with him, chatting with him about the Blue Jackets, getting his thoughts on the bubble last year. And he also had really awesome content chatting about his Jeopardy experience, which was awesome. I mean, because that's just not something that you would get to hear about very often. Yeah, but but both those episodes, both those episodes are really good to listen to. So I I can highly uh, recommend that people check that out. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool hearing about that Jeopardy content. Yeah. Also, shout out to Elaine as she tipped me off about the greatest NHL name bracket put out by ESPN. Oh, uh, and I'll put this bracket in the notes of the show, but. Uh, Jean-Luc Grandpierre, he is the sixth seed against the 11th seed Justin Abdelkader. And I, I was briefly looking at the uh, bracket before we started recording, and I saw Boone Jenner was also in there. A sixth seed for, for Jean-Luc Grandpierre, I think, is, um, I think that's pretty low. Because that's, re- that's a really good name. It sounds good. You know, I love, I love the nickname of him being the hyphenator because he's got both his first and last names have a hyphen in it. It just, it rolls off the tongue. Um, an applicator, that's pretty good. Now, do you know the background of the name Abdelkader? I don't. I, I learned this just this year. His grandfather was from somewhere in the Middle East and the name was Abdul Qadir. And then it got kind of Americanized to Abdelkader. But there, so there, it was like like an Arab Christian family. Oh wow! So yeah, cool. Abdul Qadir was the that. was the name. So I thought that was pretty uh, pretty interesting. So the number one seed in the international thing is Miroslav Shatan. So that's a that's strong. <laughs> well, Pity, that's about going to do it for us this week. We will continue to release our Jackets twenty series. A reminder: I'll have Ray Whitney on Wednesday, and he was only there for a couple of seasons, but he was putting up. You know, he was leading the team in points. He was putting up 70-point seasons. He was also the captain. Oh, three, yeah. He and Sanderson both had really huge point seasons. Yeah, I was thinking he was traded, but he was signed. Uh, he signed with Detroit, and then they traded him to Carolina, and that's where he won the Stanley Cup. So, you know, good for him. But that'll do it for us this week. Hopefully, we'll have some news as it pertains to the upcoming season ahead. But we will see you all next week. Subscribe to the Canon Cast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can catch every episode. Leave us a review and a rating, and as always, we welcome your thoughts and feedback. Go to jacketscanon.com for more Blue Jackets coverage from us, and follow us on Twitter at CBJCanon. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Pearlie and the Howlin' Moons. Check out angelapearlie.com for more music and show dates.